My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. If you don't know me, my name is Paul, and I'm so excited to be here with you on Easter. I'm excited to be one of the pastors here now at Sunrise. So this is kind of my first uh, official time with you. So very, very, very excited. And what a great Sunday. I mean, Easter is the best. Easter just is such an awesome time to celebrate. And if, if you're here and this is your first time here, let me tell you, Sunrise is a great place. I'm convinced it is a great place filled with great people and does a great job of unpacking this book that gives us hope. And I, I hope to do that today is to really show you the hope of Easter. But before we jump into our message, I want to talk about what happened last week. See, last week we unpacked the book of Ruth, and what we saw in the book of Ruth is that there are no small people. There are no small events in the mission of God. God is on mission. He wants to bring people into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we join him on this mission, we see that even the things in our life that look small, that we feel are insignificant, are not small. They're incredibly significant, and if we seize those moments, we can, we can use them and leverage them for the kingdom of God, leverage them for the mission of God. So there's no small events, there's only significant events. And as a church, we decided to take some steps that maybe look small, but are incredibly significant. And one of those steps, you can see right here in the front of our room here, underneath these screens, you see these pieces of paper that are kind of wedged into the pieces of wood there. And I want to explain, that was one of the steps we did. And that step was this. We decided as a church family that we needed to be praying. Praying for one person, one family member, one friend. And we wanted to pray that they would hear the hope of Easter. That maybe in their life what they need is hope. Maybe church is not their thing. Maybe following Jesus is not their thing. But we wanted so badly for them to hear the hope of Easter. So we made a commitment to write their name on a piece of paper, to put it in between the pieces of, uh, of wood here, and to pray for them. And then we made another step. And the other step was not just prayer, but to invite. 
to invite our friends and family members to come to our church and to hear the message of Easter. And I want to say right up front, if that's you, if you're that friend, that somebody invited you and you said, okay, I'll go. I mean, it's Easter, right? I'll go to church. I want to say right up front, thank you. Thank you for honoring your friend's invitation. I mean, you know your friendship. You, you know that you share the things that you love the most with each other. Your favorite restaurants, your favorite sports teams, your favorite literature or whatever. And so you coming here is, an, is just honoring to your friend because they want you to hear this message. Even if you never believe what they believe, they want you to at least hear what they believe. And I think you as a friend... You want to know what your friend believes. You want to know what your friend celebrates. So I'm going to do my best to show that to you. And what I want to do first is I want to show you how we're trying to model that prayer really after one of the first century followers of Jesus Christ, a guy by the name of Paul. Let me show you this in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, Paul, this great leader who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, who was commissioned by him and became really the, 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 the pioneer, if you will, of the first century world in spreading Christianity beyond the city of Jerusalem where it started. And look at how Paul prays. This is what we were trying to do as a church. This is Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Listen to this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Paul prays for his friends. He prays for his brothers and sisters, his fellow Jews. He prays for his family members. I want them to know the hope of Easter. But this isn't a light thing for Paul. This is a passionate prayer. Let's look at just one chapter before that. In chapter 9, Paul prays and he really kind of unveils the emotion in which he prays. Look at how just emotionally charged this language is for Paul when he prays for his friends. Look, this is Romans chapter 9 verse 2. It says, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I'd be willing to be forever cursed and cut off from Christ if that would save them. Do you hear that passion there? Paul's saying, daily I'm thinking of this. There's anguish and sorrow. I really believe in the hope of Easter. I really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I really believe in these things. And it's changed my life. It's totally turned my life around, a 180 turn. And I want to share that with people so much. If they don't have hope, I want them to hear about this hope. This is the posture of these prayers that are right here on this wall. But there's something very interesting about this group that Paul's praying for. And this may define you. If you're here and you came on an invitation, you may feel very much like the people that Paul is praying for. Just as your friend is praying for you, Paul is praying for his friends, and you may find yourself really described very similarly to Paul's friends. Let me show you this. This is who Paul is praying for. Romans chapter 10. Again, we're going to jump again. We're going to read this whole passage, the end of 9 and 10. But I want to jump around just a little bit to kind of show you the posture of Paul's heart. Look at Romans chapter 10. This is verse 2. Or sorry, Romans. we're going to actually get to that. Let's go to chapter 9 and we're going to look at verse 30. Paul says... Or, Paul says this, he, he, he speaks about his, his, his friends, verse 31, but the people of Israel 
who tried so hard to be right with God by keeping the law. What defines these people that Paul's praying for? They're good people, right? It says they keep the law. And what are they doing? They're trying really hard to keep the law. These are good people. These are law-abiding citizens. These are moral people. Look at how else he describes them. This is chapter 10, verse 2, that verse I mentioned. Paul says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God. They're not only good people. They're not only law-abiding citizens. They're not only moral. What else does he say? They're enthusiastic. We could translate also as zealous. They're sincere. They're spiritual. And they're good. Now that creates this kind of dilemma. Well, then why are you praying for them, Paul? Right? If they're spiritual and they're sincere and they're moral... Why do they need your prayers? Right? And, and maybe you're thinking a very similar thing. You would say, Paul, you know, I have a connection with God. And I'm a good person. Why do I need the message of Easter? I, I'm good on my own. You may feel exactly like this. Yeah, that describes me. So why is Paul praying and saying, I want my friends to be saved? But Paul, they're spiritual, sincere, and moral. What saving do they need? Here's what Paul sees. Jump to verse 3 of Romans chapter 10. We see what Paul sees as a problem, though. Sincere and spiritual as they are, good people that they are, there's a problem. Chapter 10, verse 3 reads this way. It says, For they do not understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Here's what Paul says. They're clinging to this idea. They have a way. It's not that they have no standard. They have a standard, but it's their standard. It's not that they have no way. They have a way. It's just their way. And they're clinging to this way. And this way is what? It's a way of performance keep the law, keep doing good. And, and most of the religions and spiritual outlooks out there in our world today are based on this idea. Very sincere, spiritual, good people who have a performance perspective when it comes to being right with God. We have this very simple calculus that we kind of do. If I just do enough good, then in the end I'll be rewarded. And those who do bad, then they will be punished. So we have this very kind of simple calculus. If you just do enough good in the world, you'll be okay. And if you do bad in the world, then you will receive punishment. And that's our concept of justice. But there's a problem with this performance idea. Who sets that standard? And Paul's going to point this out. Who sets that standard? If we ask that question, who sets the standard? And then how high is the standard? Because if it's all performance, then is it my standard? Your standard? Whose standard? Who sets it? How high is it? And are we even capable of meeting it? And we're going to see in our passage as we read through it that Paul is going to say God sets the standard. The standard is incredibly high. And the bad news is none of us can meet it. And that sounds terrible. That sounds awful. That is bad news. But that's not the last news. Because there's good news. Paul will say there is a way to be right with God. But it's not about performance. 
Which leads us to the big idea for today. The big idea of this message, the big idea or main idea of this passage is this. Righteousness is received, not achieved. At least not achieved by us. This is the hope of Easter. Easter is about Christ achieving and us receiving. But if we get in that performance mentality, what are we saying? It's about me achieving and not receiving. We cling to our own way. I'll do enough good on my own. Just leave me alone. But friends, that is the worst and most damaging idea we can let creep into our minds. That we are good enough on our own. No, we need a hero. And Christ is that hero. Let me, let me show you this. Jump to the very beginning of our passage. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to read a little bit of this passage. So I'm going to read several verses here. And so you're going to have to follow me for a little bit. And I'm going to be staring at my Bible for a while. But that's okay. Just watch the lights glisten off my forehead Uh, and that'll keep you entertained for a moment. All right, but I want to get the whole flow of what we're doing here, and I want you to think of that idea. Righteousness is received, not achieved. Okay, verse 30 of Romans chapter 9 says this. What does this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standard, they were made right with God, and it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel, who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law, never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in Him. They stumbled over the rock, the great rock in the path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when He said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and the prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they do not understand God's way of making people right with himself, refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. So let's jump to the beginning. Let's jump to the beginning and see these very sincere, these very zealous, these very moral people who don't succeed in getting right. Paul focuses in on Israel, and look at how he describes them. So jump back to verse 30. What does this mean, even though the Gentiles, who were not trying to follow God's standard, they were made right with God, and it was by faith that this took place, verse 31. But the people of Israel, who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law, never succeeded. So the language that Paul is using here, this this term succeeded and and tried, these words in Greek are, are, are race language. That's what they are. They're the idea of running a race. They're an athletic performance. That's what's going on. And Paul is basically describing there are two runners in this race. And two groups ran the race. One got the prize and the other did not. The prize was a good prize. The prize was righteousness. The prize was right standing with God. Paul says Israel missed it. And what he's speaking about is the majority of his people rejected this idea. Not every Jewish person in the first century world, but a majority of them pushed away this idea and said, no, we're going to do it by performance. Now, if you've been at Sunrise just in this last year, we've been walking through the Bible and we're in the Old Testament 
And you've been reminded over and over and over again. As you read the Old Testament, are you impressed with the success that's described there? No, you're disgusted by the failure. You're like, man, nobody can get this thing right. They rise to power, fall, rise, fall. The Old Testament is filled with more failure than success. And so Paul's saying this, we've seen it. The Old Testament depicts it. Thousands of years of not keeping God's law, it not working. Why is that? It's because Israel looked at the, the law in the wrong way. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. They looked at the law thinking, this will help me succeed. When I look at the law, I see a ladder with rungs, and I just need to climb the ladder. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you're seeing it wrong. The law is not a ladder, it's an x-ray machine. The law is not trying to show you how to succeed. It's trying to show you you have a need. Right? Look at chapter 3, verse 20. It says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing the law, the law's commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. I imagine this. Can you imagine? I got four kids, and if you have four kids, your kids are always sick. They, they are, that's where COVID started, not because some bat in Wuhan. It started because some preschool. And like, you know, I mean, geez louise, those kids. They're licking everything and they're biting everything, putting everything in their nose and their mouth. And then I'm not talking about the other places too, like messy kids, right? Imagine if one of my kids came up to me, Daddy, I'm, I'm not feeling good. And, and we're pretty high tech. We don't have that thermometer you put in the mouth, right? We have the one you go like this, you swipe. Because I have three boys, Right? And try to get them to hold still that long is ridiculous. I need the instant infrared beam, you know? That's what I need. Hold them down, hold his head, whoop, right? Swipe them. Imagine I, I run up to, say, Dexter. Okay? I have four kids, so that's my third, second son. I run up to Dexter, four-year-old. Daddy, I'm not feeling good. Great. Don't worry. I grab the thermometer and I go, beep, you're healed. <laughs> He'd be like, what? Right? The thermometer doesn't cure him, right? It lets me know, is he sick? It's a diagnostic tool. This is what Paul's saying, how almost humorous it is, sadly so, that Israel saw the law and thought, sweet, this is the cure. No, it's the thermometer. It's showing us, beep, 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 we have a temperature, like we have a need, Think of how maddening this performance idea is when you look at a diagnostic tool and think it's the cure. It's basically going to put you on a spiritual treadmill where you are going to exhaust yourself, but you're never going to move forward. This is what Paul says happened. And, and friends, this is what happens with us. I think we know this. I think we know this deep down inside. This performance thing is not going to work. Because our good is not good enough, and our good doesn't go deep enough, and our good doesn't last long enough. I remember thinking to myself before I became a Christian, I'm good. I'm, I grew up in a, in a party house. I grew up in where a lot of bad decisions were being made. Some addictions were happening and all those things. And I was, I was straight edge. I wasn't doing those things, right? I was keeping myself from those things. And so according to that standard, I felt pretty good. So in the performance dynamic, I thought, hey, whatever happens in the end, however this thing works out, I'm going to be good. I'm going to get rewarded. Things are fine. And then I ran into this guy, Jesus. And let me tell you, this guy, when he starts teaching, 
His standard is ridiculous. Jesus teaches that our good actions need to come from a good heart. He said that even when an action looks good, it may be bad because in here, you don't have the right motive. Jesus used this wonderful example. He says, even if you're praying in public, like if I stood on this stage and prayed and said all these wonderful spiritual uh, uh, words, right? He may be throwing some Greek and Hebrew in there, right? If I sounded really good and eloquent in my prayer, you may be impressed, but God knows my heart. And if my heart is to impress you, that's not a good prayer. Think about that. That means a good action can be wrong if my heart's not right. That's a heavy standard. So this has to match this. Then Jesus says even more. Jesus says, actually, before you even do anything with this hand, you can sin right here. Jesus says, yeah, committing adultery, cheating on your spouse is bad. But if you lust after someone in your heart, that's sin already. He said, you may not strike your brother, but if you harbor evil thoughts against your brother, that's bad. I remember reading that for the first time, right? You ever just get mad at Jesus? Like, what are you talking about? Like, who on earth is going to be able to meet that standard? I mean, just think if you fall short of that, just two to three times a day, and that's generous. I'm like, if I'm being honest. And if you don't believe that, hang out with my kids or me. Two to th- if you just do that two to three times a day, that means you'd be averaging a thousand sins a year. Now apply that by your age. <laughs> the older section over here, like grown, like, oh, <laughs> right? Imagine that. Now think about it. You might be saying, you know what, Paul? They're small infractions. They're just misdemeanors. Okay, even if I grant you that, that they're misdemeanors, still 40,000 misdemeanors? How would a judge treat you? Well, it's just petty theft. 40,000 times? You need to be locked up. Do you see what this does to us? This performance dynamic is never going to work. God sets the standard, and it's so high, and we can't meet it. We're unable to meet it. We need somebody else to meet it. If we're ever going to get righteousness, somebody else has to achieve it. We need a hero to step in because we can't be the hero of our story. Look at what Paul says. So there is a way to attain righteousness. There is a way to have that prize at the end of the race. But it won't be done by performance. It won't be done by achievement. It's done in a different way. Go back again to Romans chapter 9. What's the other way? How did this other group attain righteousness? It's at the very end of verse 30. He said, they were made right with God and it was by faith that this took place. Not by works, not by doing, not by achieving, not by performance. It is by faith that's the only way to attain the prize take that like racing analogy again take that illustration again in your mind Uh, israel is running after a good prize they want to win a good prize they're running this race but in the wrong way so to illustrate that think of this just almost the, the humor of what they're trying to do the sadness of what they're trying to do it'd be like a world class sprinter trying to win a swim meet by running okay imagine he gets to the blocks 
He's prepared for this moment. Right? He kisses his gold chain, puts it underneath the spandex, right? Makes them faster. He lines up at the blocks, and as his muscles tighten in his legs, he remembers he has dieted for this moment. He has sacrificed for this moment. He has trained for this moment. He has dreamed about this moment. He has felt almost in his dreams the weight of the metal around his neck as he's declared the victor. So he gets to the block, and he is ready to go. And as all the other participants line up, he sees victory in here, and he sets his fingers, he sets his toes, the gun goes off, and boom, he leaps in the air, and he's spinning those legs, splash into the pool. He's running underwater, getting absolutely nowhere. He fills his lungs with water over and over again. He just gives up, he bursts out of the water, and he sees all the guys finishing the race by swimming and not sprinting. That's what Paul is saying. That's the idea here. It's not about sincerity. I mean, he ran hard. It's not about effort. I mean, he pushed and churned and tried to make a wake in that water. It's not about even wanting the wrong thing. He wanted that prize. He went about it in the wrong way. We cannot achieve right standing with God. We must receive it. We need a hero. Who's that hero? You know the ending of the story. Right, let me show you this. Romans chapter 9. Let's jump in. Yes, we need a hero. We need the hero of Easter. We need Christ. Look at how Paul describes it. Very, very interesting how he's going to now point us to say, yes, there is a way to attain righteousness. It must be received by faith. Faith in who? Trust in who? Trust in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 32 of chapter 9. Said God warned them, or sorry, let's read verse 32, not verse 33, that's what I did. Verse 32. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting in Him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when He said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Here's what Paul is describing here. He takes Two passages from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 8 and Isaiah chapter 28, and he kind of slams them together. And in those two passages, God is saying, I'm going to do a work. And he describes the work that he's going to do for his people Israel as a stone. And he uses that language to show them the security that is in the work that he is doing. But he also wants to show them something else. He's saying, I'm laying a rock, a strong foundation. If you trust in this man, you will be secure. No matter the storm that hits, you're going to be fine. But if you don't trust in that, then you're going to trip over the stone and you're going to fall and be broken. And now what Paul's saying here, he's taking these two ideas or these two passages from Isaiah and he's saying God has done a work for us in the race of righteousness and his work is a person. His work now involves a hero. It involves a him. It's not just an action of God, it is the person of God in Christ Jesus. Look at how he describes it really in that last verse. But anyone who trusts in 
him. It's a person. And who is that person? Jump to verse 4 of chapter 10. The person is Christ. Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him are made right. Who achieved righteousness? Christ did. Who sets the standard? God does. How high is that standard? It's perfection. And Christ achieved it. It says he fulfilled what the purpose of the law. And as a result, all who believe in him are made right. Do you see the exchange that happens there? This is the beautiful exchange of Good Friday and Easter. Is that we can't keep the standard, but we don't suffer the consequence. The consequence falls on Christ. He gets our sin. But he perfectly met the standard. Always obeyed. From the center of his heart. Always devoted to his heavenly father. Always devoted to what is righteously pure. In every action that he did, he was righteous. He ran the race and achieved the prize. But he takes the consequence of us not meeting the standard. So he gets our sin, but in a beautiful and scandalous, if you will, exchange, we get his righteousness. Think about that. That would be like you going to a boxing match. Heavyweight champions of the world, the Goliaths, right? These just giant human beings. They get in the ring and they're just intimidating. I mean, their muscles are bulging. They're just these giant human beings. They get in the ring and round after round, you can hear the gloves hitting the cheek. Bam! And you're thinking to yourself, that's like a car crash every time that guy swings. The power in that ring is dynamic. It almost puts fear in you even though you're in the nosebleeds. Right? You can hear it. You can almost feel the carnage of it. And you think to yourself, I can never withstand that impact. And then the champion wins. And they give him the belt. And he steps out of that ring and he walks all the way to your seat. And says, here champ, the belt's yours. That's what's happening here. That's what Easter is. You don't get in the ring, but you wear the belt. You didn't earn it, but you get the status. You didn't achieve the standard, but he just gives it to you. We get a status that we don't earn. Christ got in the ring with sin and death. And he knocked it out. And now he comes to us and says, death won't mean separation from God forever. Rather, death. Death will mean you're reunited back to your creator. Because the consequence of sin is taken care of. Righteousness is received not achieved. The center of our faith is a receiving faith. And even if you know that, even if you've, 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 you've lived that truth, you, you've received the righteousness of Jesus Christ and you've lived a right standard, still the center of your faith is a receiving faith. In a moment here, we're about to participate in the elements of communion. And the elements of communion remind us that the center of our faith is receiving and not achieving. Because that table was not prepared by you, but it was prepared for you. 
It's a celebration of something done for you. It's a feast of his merit, not ours. So maybe you're here and, and, and you would call yourself a committed follower of Jesus Christ and you are excited about today. But if you really look back from this moment and look backward, you've been struggling. Maybe in your marriage, maybe at your work, maybe just in your friend circle, maybe just personally, you have not, you have just not been winning. <laughs> and you're struggling. Maybe an old habit came back during COVID, one that you thought you, you had extinguished, one, that, that, that demon that you thought you had put out of your life. Right, That dragon that finally kind of came back. You thought you had slayed, but it reared its ugly head during the whole crisis of COVID. Maybe anxiety or, or depression has gripped you in, in a way that it never has before. You would never have considered yourself a person who would deal with deep sadness or deep worry. Wherever you find yourself, maybe, whatever it is, you feel like you're not winning. Today on Easter, I want to remind you of the one who won. And I want to remind you that the center of your faith is a receiving faith. In fact, when you come and you participate in communion, I want you to think that way. I'm going to this table prepared by my hero, and it's okay for me to ask for help. The center of our faith is receiving, and it's interesting that even the good that we do, the good behavior we have, the good character we have, the good choices we have, the Bible often describes that as fruit. Isn't that interesting language? Why would they use the language of fruit? It's because fruit tells us that something happened before. Something happened prior. A farmer doesn't go up and see fruit first just levitating over his field. Just apples just floating all over the orchard. And maybe he does. I don't know. That's not how it works. It starts first in the ground and it grows and then the fruit matures. See, there's something that happens first before the fruit gets there. This is our Christian faith. At the center of the orbit of our worldview is a receiving of righteousness, not achieving of righteousness, which means we have to receive the work of God in order to do any good outward here. So if you feel broken or you are struggling or you are just not winning right now in your life, what a great day to remember that you receive first before you ever achieve. So as you come to this table, come and say, Hero, help me. I need to receive today. Now maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. You want to call yourself a follower of Christ. Maybe you've had a moment where you thought, you know what, Paul? I'm sincere. I'm spiritual. I'm good. I have a connection with God. I'm a good person. I don't, I don't, I don't need this this Bible stuff. I'm here because I, I love my friend and I want to be here to support them and I'm excited that they invited me. Please, can you hear me, friend? Please, please. I know you do good. I know you're sincere. But I'm sure you've had moments, maybe late at night, you're reflecting on the day and you've thought to yourself, is my good good enough? What is the standard anyway? How high is that standard? Can I even meet that standard? And I know it's bad news to hear the standard is so high, you could never meet it. But hear the good news. Someone met that standard for you. And my hope for you today is that you would receive. Receive that righteousness. 
And so I'm going to pray a prayer here in a moment. And if you want to receive the righteousness of Christ today for the first time, you want to cross over that line and commit your life to Christ today for the first time, I want you to follow me in that prayer. Not because the words I say are magical, but they're meaningful if they come from your heart. So when I pray in the moment, I want you to just follow me in the silence of your own heart in that prayer. And after I'm done praying, I want you to come to that table for the first time receiving, as a new follower of Jesus Christ, receiving communion as a friend of God and one who has won the race because someone won it for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that somebody has finally won the race of righteousness. We know it's not ourselves. We, we, we can't even get close to winning that. We can't even get close to achieving that. We, we can't even get close to performing enough good. Yes, we're sincere. Yes, at times we're spiritual. Yes, it, it looks like we perform the actions that are good. We'll be appraised as right and just. But inside, it's got to come from a very deep place, and we cannot meet the standard that you have put in place. Oh, but Father, you have stepped into that mess, and you have said, I've met the standard. Through Christ, the standard has been met. And now our job is just to receive, not try to achieve. So Father, for anybody in this room right now who hasn't taken that step to follow Jesus for the first time, I pray right now that you're working on their heart, Father. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you're speaking to them. Maybe you're showing them the hard news, the very confronting and convicting news that we can't meet the standard placed. But Father, I pray that you'd show them the bright vibrancy of Easter hope. That they can have righteousness if they'll receive it by faith. And if that's you in the room right now and you want to take that step to follow Jesus Christ... You can pray a very simple prayer right after me here. In the silence of your own heart, just between you and God, you just do some business with God, you can say something very simple like this. You could say, Father, I see. I see that I can't meet the standard that's put in place. I fall short. I fall short. And it breaks my heart to see that that's true. But I'm excited and overjoyed to see that you've given me a gift to be received. So today, I put my faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin. And I give my life over to following Him. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.